This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. As a ministry, we desire to see the return of strong, triumphant Christianity in the church today. We make these messages available free of charge for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ and igniting bold faith in the hearts of believers around the world. The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. Wilmer McLean's Living Room. Uh, I just, I couldn't pass on the title. It just sounded so obscure and ridiculous. Uh, but in actuality, it's a great parallel with the Christian life. You see, we in our culture today uh, are experiencing something that I would say we're recognizing we're on the verge of what we could call a civil war. But it's different because typically civil wars are territorially based, but in our culture, it's an ideological civil war. The extremes between the right and the left have never been more extreme, uh, to the point where some people say, if so-and-so gets elected, I'm leaving the country. They never seem to. Have you ever noticed that? I think uh, there's a few people in this room that said that they were going to leave the country, too, if uh, so-and-so got elected eight years ago, and they still are around. Uh, You know, it's one of those types of things where the ideology is so different, you can't imagine living in a nation where someone with the opposite ideology is on the throne. And uh, however, in our history, we really do have a civil war. And that civil war, I mean, one of the dangers of a civil war is as a nation, you cannot stand properly to defend yourself against outside invasion when you're at war within. And so what I just enunciated was the great tactic of the devil, and that's to create a civil war in your own life. You see, there should be a very clear winner and a very clear loser in your soul. And if the enemy is still marching about in your life, you have yourself evidence of a civil war. You see, something is not right, and as a result, you are not fit to defend yourself against enemy invasion in this life, nor are you fit to actually expand the kingdom of your God on this earth. We are in a military as Christians. I know it doesn't seem sort of ridiculous, like when those little kids, you know, they get into their Sunday school class and they go, uh, I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. There's hand movements to it too. I may never fly over the enemy. That's when you do this thing. But I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. And the whole while you feel like you're faking it. I'm really not in an army. This is something that we're saying. You know, you dress up in your armor of God, plastic uniform. And as a result, we lose the essence of what it truly means to be a soldier of the cross. And that is a very, very important thing for us not to lose sight of the fact that there is a physical man and a physical universe and there is a spiritual man and a spiritual reality in which we live And the second, the spiritual reality, is actually greater. And as a result, you're a soldier, not maybe in the physical sense, but you are in the greater sense a soldier of something even more important than fighting for territorial rights. You are fighting for the glory of the King of Kings. And so that's just to set a little stage here for Wilmer McLean's Living Room, a study in deliberate choice. 
the two battle fronts of the spiritual man. So we're going to put one over here, and if you, you hear me teach a lot, then you know that over on this side is usually the bad stuff. That, that isn't to at all incriminate any of you that sit on this side of the audience uh, today. It's just sort of in this zone on the stage, okay? This is the first man, and then over here we have the second man. Okay, so in the Bible, we always have twos. There's just twos everywhere in the Bible. I mean, even the Bible is broken up into twos. You have the Old Covenant, and you have the New Covenant. Which one saves? Well, the Old Covenant doesn't save you. In fact, if it could, then there would be no reason for a second. The First Covenant shows you your need of a Savior. But the second one reveals to you your Savior. And so the second one is the one that pleases God. And so when we are first born, we're born in Adam. In other words, all of us descend, if we were to trace back our genealogy, you know, we all come from the same father, technically, and that's Adam. And when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, I know this is going to sound a little strange, you have to understand genetics for this, but you were, and we were, I mean, me too, we were all in him. So when he went hunk into the fruit, we were, in a sense, going hunk into the fruit. We share in his sin. It says, one man sinned and all sinned. And so as a result, that condemnation or that death that came upon Adam, we share in. And that's our first life. It's called the old man. And as long as we stay here, we die and we receive the just penalty for our sin. What Jesus Christ has done is he has lived a life that anyone of Adam could never live. He is born of God. His father is actually God. He is God in a body, and he came to this earth and lived a life that over here, none of us can live. And when he lived that life, in and through his death on the cross, he created an avenue for when we believe we can actually put off this first life and step into a second life. Okay, so the two battlefronts of the spiritual man. If you remain over here, and even make notations about God, maybe sing some songs about God and say, yay, God, you're, you did really good, Jesus. But you continue to live here in your old life, in your old lineage, showing the same old results. What you are doing is you're, in a sense, encountering a civil war. You have a battle going on within you, and you have all sorts of loss of human life that is taking place that is completely unnecessary. This is not the way God intended a nation or a house in your situation to stand. You see, you are at battle against the wrong thing. There is a war, and there's a war you're supposed to engage in, but this is not the one. And so, front number one, self-preservation. The reason we stay over here is because we want to remain in control of our lives. Let's just get it out on the table. This is what the Bible makes very clear as well. We are naturally, because we are descended from Adam and, in a sense, are sharing in his condemnation, we have a problem from the very beginning. We have a disposition or an orientation towards self-centeredness. Me. Mine. This is how we speak. You look at every child when they pop out of the womb. That's mine. No. You know, they just have a certain vocabulary. and it all, I don't even know that we ever teach a child the word mine. Isn't that funny? They just are like intrinsically. It's like within them. It's like, mine. And it's like, where'd you get that word? I just had it the whole while. And it's a strange phenomenon. They know this word. They understand this concept, mine. And that's the way we are with our life. When God goes, kink, 
kink, kink, kink. Hey, uh, could I have that life? Mine. And so as a result, as long as we remain here, we fight against God and we're actually siding with the devil. This is his business. This is his battle. His battle is to bring civil war and to destroy you. The loss of life in our country because we couldn't get along was extreme. So now there's a second front, a battlefront, and we're going to call it self-denial. God makes it very clear that to live and to thrive in our spiritual lives, we need to give up self. We need to put off our first manner of living. And we need to get inside of God. Climb inside of Jesus Christ by faith and share in his work. Just as when Adam sinned, all sinned. Well, when Jesus went to work, what he did on that cross, when we believe in him, now we get to share in that work. So one man's righteousness now becomes all of our righteousness. His good work becomes our work, just as Adam's bad work had become our work, bad work in the past. So when we are self-denying, we are fighting for God and now against the devil. By the way, that's the way to live. In Joshua, we have a story where Joshua is laying out the facts for the nation of Israel. They're entering, they've entered the land of promise, and now it's time to make a covenant with God. And he's gone through a whole list of what God has accomplished on their behalf. In a sense, I'm going to make it very clear what he was doing. He was laying out the evidence for why God is trustworthy. Did he not say? Did he not do? And so Joshua says that if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, all capital Lord is the ineffable name or the unspeakable name of God given to Moses at the burning bush. We oftentimes know it as Jehovah, Jehovah, Yahweh, Yahweh, however you would pronounce it. It is literally the four letters. And if it seems evil for you to serve the one who never changes, is always the same. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. You'll notice this word choose and chosen is here. So remember this message is about a deliberate choice, a study in deliberate choice. So He says, choose for yourselves this day. That word in the Hebrew means to examine the evidence, to scrutinize it, to test it. And then once you've seen it, to make a decision on it. This is what he's saying. Guys, you've seen the evidence of what God has done for you. Did he not keep his promises to you? He has delivered you out of the hand of Pharaoh, sustained you for 40 years in the wilderness, and now by his hand, has crossed that Jordan River into this territory and defeated your enemies. Everyone you stood against went down. Choose this day. Examine that evidence and make a decision on it. And that decision is binding. Joshua goes on to make that very clear. You shouldn't make this decision lightly, guys. If you're going to choose Jehovah, you need to recognize that he's a jealous God. He's Kana. He is jealous. That's his name. And so you do not go back on that decision. So in other words, this is what's laying before all of us. You have the misery of your first life. 
However, if you really want to be God's soldier, if you want to participate in the kingdom of heaven and the work on this earth, you need to make a choice. You have to give up something in order to truly gain the kingdom of heaven. So he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourself, because they all chose. Now I'm skipping forward to verse 22 here. But they all said, we want to serve Jehovah. And he says, okay, guys, you're witnesses against yourselves that you have examined the evidence, scrutinized the facts, deliberated, tested and proven this to be the right choice, and have decided. You are witnesses against yourself. You made this decision. You have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses Now therefore, he said, and this is the first thing they do, put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. Well, we got a little God known as self that is stationed on our throne. And so the first thing, if you're gonna choose to go with God, what you have to do is choose to leave self behind. You cannot allow self to maintain a position of control in this operation known as your body. I know it doesn't sound like a nation, does it? But it sort of is. This is like the same thing. It's a territory. It is a piece of property. And it needs to be controlled and led by God Almighty. So put away your foreign gods. Introducing Wilmer McLean. Isn't that just a funny name? That's why I had to stick it in the title. I mean, a guy named Wilmer has to have... I bet, I bet there probably has never been a sermon title after this guy's name. And just think about that. This is like his one moment in history where he could really be in a sermon title. I mean, I'm sure there's books written about him and things because there is. I mean, the guy's a fascinating character. And some of you may know who Wilmer McLean is. The, the name is just so fascinating to me. And, uh, but Wilmer McLean was the wholesale grocer from Manassas, Virginia. I know, that's very impressive uh, to hear. And You know, the guy technically doesn't want to be in a sermon, probably. He's just like, could you just leave me alone? It's the way most of us are. Could I just have my life? Have you ever had it where you feel like the hound of heaven is after you? You know, God's like, hey, I want more. It's like, God, could you just leave me alone? Meanwhile, you have this other dimension of your life, which is falling into disrepair, and God's like, I could help you with that. God, could you just leave me alone? Wilmer McLean's life has fallen apart. But he wants to be left alone. This is a good story. The year is 1861, July 21st, 1861 to be exact, and the first shots of the Civil War are fired. Now, Wilmer McLean is minding his own business, living in Manassas, Virginia. He doesn't want to be a part of any conflict. He has a wife. He has kids. I mean, he has a business to run. The guy has a life, okay? And meanwhile, there's stuff happening. There's arguments from the north, arguments from the south, arguments from the north, arguments from the south. The north moves south, the south moves north, the north moves south, the south moves north, and they end up in Manassas, in Wilmer McLean's front yard. The first battle of Bull Run, also by the south, is known as the Battle of Manassas. You know where that took place? Wilmer McLean's front yard. Could you imagine Wilmer's like, hey, 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 what are you guys doing? Hey, could you leave me alone? You're in the middle of a battle. And for whatever reason, your front yard has been chosen by the devil and by God. (laughs) There's a battle over your life and you just want to be left alone. Wilmer's had quite enough. So Wilmer is having dinner 
with his family, and they, they, I guess they would stick their, their food in the hearth in the fireplace in the kitchen and it would warm it up. That was their oven. Meanwhile, a cannonball comes down the fireplace and destroys their entire dinner. That's what happened. Wilmer McLean has had enough. After all, his dinner was completely destroyed when that cannonball landed in their kitchen fireplace. Wilmer moves south. You see, the south is moving north, the north is moving south. What can I do to get out of this battle? You see, you have a civil war in your life. You have a battle where God wants access and needs access. However, you still want to preserve your life. You're still upset about that dinner. You don't want to give your life. You didn't want to lend your front yard to a battle. And as a result, you find yourself resistant, looking for ways that you can escape the conflict as opposed to deal with that internal conflict so that you are fit as a nation, in this illustration, or as an individual life to function the way you ought. Wilmer moves south. He moves 190 miles south near a dusty crossroads community called Appomattox Courthouse. Now, if you know your Civil War history, you have to get a little chuckle uh, deep down inside uh, just as you're thinking about this guy named Wilmer McLean. Because doesn't he realize that that's going to be a significant spot? Well, he didn't at the time. He was getting away from it. He's like, okay, 190 miles is a long way, guys. That's a long way, and I'm going south. I'm getting away from this. I mean, I can't go north. I'm going south. And so I'm, I'm going to get away from this and, you know, just somehow shut this out. I, I'm a grocer. I have a wife. I have kids. I have a life to tend to. I can't deal with this whole Civil War thing. The year is 1865. Four years later, April 9th, 1865 to be exact, and General Robert E. Lee is looking for a home in which to meet with General Ulysses S. Grant. And guess whose home they knock on? They're looking for a place because the Civil War has been raging for a long time and it's time to come to an end. Same with our life. And God once again knocks. and He says, you know what? You can run, but you can't hide. You see, I have a design for your life. In fact, he wants to use our home in which to settle the deal, to bring to, to the end a civil war that has been hindering a nation, or in your case, a life. You've been fighting against God instead of allowing him in. When he started touching your front yard and you know, stepping on your petunias, you weren't too excited. Your whole dinner was destroyed. Hey, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And now, after all these years, he softened you to the point where you're beginning to look at your 190-mile retreat south as maybe not the best idea. You sort of left your nation hanging in the balance and just got out of there. You were thinking about self. And now, after four years, you have another opportunity. And the general knocks on your door and says, <clears throat> uh, this looks like an appropriate place. Would you mind if we use your living room? Could you imagine the same guy the same place. I mean, this guy's front yard was where the Civil War started. He moves 190 miles south, and who finds him? General Lee knocks on his door. Technically, it was probably someone of General Lee's, uh, but, I, but I like thinking of it being General Lee himself. Guess who's, whose door they knock on? That's right, Wilmer McLean's. Yours, mine. Do you want this Civil War to end? Are you tired of fighting for your own rights? instead of giving up your life and seeing the Prince of Peace come in and rule. 
the surrender finally happens. So Ulysses S. Grant and General Robert E. Lee work out the terms of surrender, and the South surrenders to the North. That's, I'm not trying to make a, a statement spiritually on the, uh, the sides of the war, as much as I am saying you're in the middle of it. Now, here's what's interesting. Wilmer McLean, the guy who's trying to mind his own business, has you know, a, a battle start in his front yard, and then the war ends finally when he yields his living room. He says, all right, all right, here's my house. You can have my house. You know what? <laughs> this, is, this is just quite something. This does fit us in parallels. It's, this is, once the ceremony was over, I call this the letting go, members of the Army of the Potomac, this is the North, began taking the tables, chairs, and various other furnishings in the house, essentially anything that was not tied down as souvenirs. <laughs> this poor guy. I mean, his dinner is ruined at the beginning of the battle. He tries to escape it, and then all of it comes and finds and knocks on his door. He yields up his house. The war ceases. He gives up everything. I mean, literally everything this guy has tried to protect gets taken. Now, you'd think the guy would be happy. They have a whole museum made out of his house now and all these things. I mean, the, the desk in which General Robert E. Lee signed the terms of surrender is like, I don't know, I want to say it's, I don't know if it's in the Smithsonian. It's in some big museum. I mean, his own desk. I don't know if Wilmer McLean was thinking about that at the time. He's like, God, God. You see, for many of us in here, we don't understand what it means to come to terms of peace. However, if you really want your life to be whole and ready to fight the battles that you have been assigned in this life, you need to yield up your living room. The war began in my front yard and ended in my front parlor. Wilmer McLean, 1865. That's a good quote. Back uh, December 1st, oh, 20, 23, 24 years ago, God was dealing with me on this exact issue. I had come to Jesus Christ, and I sort of was straddling. I don't know, some of you know what I mean by this. It's like, Jesus, I'm yours. Could I hold on to this? Could I keep this? The, the negotiating terms that we, we do or try and pull off are really interesting. Like when we bring them out into the open air, it sounds really bad. However, there's certain things that you know, we understand that Jesus needs to be in control. Okay, you, you guys have had a very clear gospel preached to you in this church. And yet, isn't it funny that it was like, oh, I'm over here. But we have a strong leaning in certain areas. And there's certain things that we would say, God, could I keep that? Could I at least make sure that you sign something in the small print that says you will never ask me to do that? There's, there's a list that we create. So in this situation, 24 years ago or so, God was asking for something from me that I couldn't give. It was a deep ask of the Spirit of God. He was asking for something that would lead to potentially great misunderstanding from others, they would look at me funny. He was asking for something from me that would lead to tremendous difficulty for my own life. God, couldn't you ask someone else? Why do you have your eyes on me? Why do you want my living room? Why you, isn't there another Wilmer McLean around? Why do you have to choose me? That, what do you think Wilmer McLean's thinking? Why me? 
You know that it's the greatest privilege to have the eyesight of God direct your way. God Almighty is looking at you. He's saying, you know what, kink, kink, I'd like that living room. That table I would like to sign the paperwork on. I mean, it's going to end up in the Smithsonian. God's building a story for the ages, and yet we're not too excited about it. When we choose deliberately to obey him, then he will tax the remotest star in the last grain of sand to assist us. That's what I read. So that morning, you know how some of us have done this? You flop open your Bible, you know, in a plea of God, you know, to somehow speak to you. Well, I flopped open my utmost for his highest. And I said, God, I need, I need some clarity because I'm really trembling here. And that's what I read. When we choose deliberately to obey him, then he will tax the remotest star in the last grain of sand to assist us. God, I am going to examine the evidence and I'm going to make a deliberate choice to say, yes, you deserve all of me, even if they take all my furniture in my living room. Even if I lose everything, And my meal is destroyed again because of a cannonball down the fireplace. Here you go. Do I regret that decision? I've made so many more just like it since. And that first decision, when you finally say yes to that hard thing, is actually what sets a pattern in place for your life. Because then God can refer back to that. It's called precedent. And now he can say, remember how I was faithful there? Remember how I was faithful there? Yes. Yes, yes, it's called piles of stones. You keep building piles of stones in your life and when God asks you for that next tough thing, what do you do? You go back to that and God says, remember, remember, you taxed the last grain of sand and the remotest star to assist me, didn't you? He looks back, winks, and he says, you ready to do it again? (sighs) Yes. Deliberate choice. You see, you are not being arm-twisted in the king, into the kingdom of heaven. There's no one that's forcing you to do any of this. You see, God lays out his evidence before you. It's called the word of God, the truth. The spirit of God is the convincer. And he comes bearing the word of God, bearing the testimony, the record of God to your soul. And he says, examine this, test it, and then make a decision. It's a deliberate choice. It's not an arm-twisted choice. It's not a, you know, a one that's under duress, like God. It's one that says, I have done this throughout the ages, and I did it for you 2,000 years ago. And when you deliberately choose to turn away from the old life that you've been living, when you deliberately choose to forsake self and deny self and choose to crown me as your king, I will do this for you. Guaranteed. Guess who just said that to you? The God who cannot lie. And so as a result, in seeing that evidence, we make a choice to be believers. And we put off the old life and we deliberately choose to engage in a new life. Hebrews 11, talking about faith, says, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter he was in line to be the next Pharaoh. So in other words, he's deliberately choosing to give up royalty, to give up position, to give up power, fame, and notoriety. That's a pretty big statement there. 
Most of us just read right over it and we don't recognize that what he is choosing to do is yield his living room to whatever cannonballs God wants to bring. He's not going to just escape into comfort. He's saying, God, I've seen something. And I'm going to make a choice, a deliberate choice on this matter. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. Who in their right mind is going to give up pleasure, power, position for suffering? What? Uh... Think of Jesus Christ. What does he have? Everything. And yet because of love, he chooses to enter into a little baby body and suffer. This is the pattern of the kingdom of heaven. And what happens after his suffering? But he rises again and ascends to the right hand of the Father, high above every name that can be named. You see, when we deliberately, instead of trying to be large in this earth, are willing to become weak in this earth, then God makes us large in heaven. Principle, kingdom of heaven. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming, and esteeming is a mental decision of choice to pick something over something else. So he is literally making a choice, which means he's weighing and evaluating and trying the facts and I could have the pleasures of sin for a season, and I could die. Or I could choose by faith to believe that God's kingdom is greater, and that I would be willing to forsake the kingdoms of this earth and be willing to forsake all comforts, all position, and all power in this earth for something even greater. See, some of us don't see it. Some of us don't see it. When we hear the knock of the general on our door, we don't see the Smithsonian Institute asking for the desk. We don't see the impact upon history that our small decisions are making and saying, God, you can have this living room. But God changes the course of nations in and through small people opening up the door of their life and allowing the general in. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Wow. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Aperneomai means to deny, to refuse, to disregard, to reject, to forgo. It's a strong word. And you must do that towards something. You must refuse something. What Jesus asks us to do is to aperneomai ourselves, To deny or to reject self's position. There is a bait that says, this is about you. Keep the controls. Keep your hand on the steering wheel. However, Jesus says you must aperneomai that. You must reject that. You must deny self that position in your life so that you can give Jesus his rightful due. However, you must choose something because when you stay here and you stay seated, you keep your hands on the steering wheel, you keep the door locked to your living room, did you know that you're denying access to the rightful master? In other words, you will aperneomai. You need to choose what you're aperneomine. Are you denying self or are you denying Jesus? You see, it's a big decision that we have, and it's called deliberate choice. Will it be Jesus or it will be self? You must re- refuse something. Peter said to him, speaking to Jesus, 
Even if I have to die with you, I will not aperneomai you. I will not deny you. I will not reject you. I will not turn from you. Even if I have to die. This is where many of us start. We start here and we're like, Jesus, I choose you. However, we don't esteem the suffering. We don't understand the life that we are being set in. And so as a result, the first trial comes and we realize that we're back here denying Christ. Peter declared that he would never deny or aperneomai Jesus. And then that very night, well, I'll read you the story. And Peter, Peter remember, and so said all the disciples. So no, it wasn't just Peter, but all the disciples said it. Jesus responds back and says, Peter, even tonight you will deny me. You are aperneomai me three times before the cock crows. And so it was. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. So wherever you're at in your life, right now, I think it's just a, it'd be a good fresh reminder for all of us that without power, we can't live this life over here. We can't yield our living room. We can't let all our furniture be taken away with joy and thanksgiving and rejoicing. You see, we are naturally self-bent. The only rescue strategy we have is to allow God to carry us through the process. You see, what Peter was missing was a very, very important input. Jesus was going to die that day on the Passover. When he died, he gave something which was realized 50 days later on a day called Pentecost, and it was the Holy Spirit. Peter, the same one who denied Jesus three times, 50 days earlier, 50 days later, on the day of Pentecost, stands before the city of Jerusalem, the very people that may have cried out, crucify him, and with boldness and audacity, he stands against all the winds of public esteem or state, any, any political correctness and stands for Jesus. Whoa, what was the difference in Peter? You see, he wanted to live over here, but he was stuck here. But then suddenly he was firmly established, denying self and saying, God, I am your vehicle, your vessel to communicate. What in the world happened? His life was changed You see, by faith, we believe, but we also need power to live here and power to allow the general to come in. And when we see all the Union soldiers taking our furniture to say, Lord Jesus, it's yours anyways. You see, that's hard. And what you need is the power of the Holy Spirit in order to do it. But you denied the Holy One and the just speaking to the city of Jerusalem and the Jews there, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. How many times have we sold our birthright for a bowl of red stew? How many times have we denied Jesus access and instead taken on fleshly behavior? And as it says here, we denied or aperneomide the holy one and the just and desired a murderer to be granted to us instead. You see, this isn't just the Jews that crucified Jesus. Our decisions led him there as well. We are just as culpable and just as guilty and the blood is on our hands for the death of the Messiah. However, that death is what cleanses us from our very decisions. 
And he said to them all, this is Jesus speaking, if any man will come after me, let him aperneomai. Let him reject, deny, give no position to himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life, I will not give up my life. I will not give up my living room. Whoever tries to save his living room will lose it. Shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life, yield his living room, for my sake, the same shall save it. The dying. You see, when we talk about giving up our old life, some of us want it to be theoretical dying. Let's just pick up your cross daily. I don't know if any of you have ever studied a cross, but a cross led a man to die. That's just what it did. You didn't pick up a cross and then go you know, to a coffee shop. You picked up a cross and you died upon it. And you didn't come down from that cross until you were dead. Every part of you. It's not like your right hand was still flopping around. Every part of you came to a death. And so as a result, we are to come to a death daily. We are to come to a complete place of yieldedness to say, my living room once again today is yours. Every day we remember that our house is not our own. And if you knock on my house today, the furniture that I just worked all last week to buy is yours again. This is hard because some of us can say, I gave up my furniture to Jesus 20 years ago. Mm -hmm, And you got quite a collection again. Every day it starts afresh to say, Jesus, my house belongs to you. The dying, it's more than just a refusal of riches. It's a very real death. You see, the refusal of riches is a part of the death, but it's actually a very real giving up of life. You see, there is something that we find mm, zest in over here. It's hard to sometimes give the right word for it, but it's a form of life. It leads to death, don't get me wrong. It's a false pleasure because it doesn't actually lead to anything but destruction, but there is still something over here. Have you ever gone without food for a week? When you go without food for a week, you realize that there is a pleasure in food that you take for granted. Now, some of you are like, I don't take it for granted. I love it. (laughs) However, I'll just say it for myself. I, I take it for granted, okay? In other words, when you haven't had food for a while, life can get very gray. I don't know if any of you have ever gone through this, but it's just sort of like, what's life worth living for? It's a weird phenomenon that happens because there's a certain pleasure that you get from food, and you don't realize that you're getting that pleasure from food until you step away from it and deny it for a period, and you're like, huh, I just feel sort of a depression. There's like something missing in my life. And that's what you see when you choose to follow Jesus. At first, you don't realize how dependent upon this other form of life you were. You see, you were getting a form of life. It isn't really life. It actually is killing you. But it still feels like life. And you have to choose to step away from that life, that source of life, and say, God, I'm going to come to you as my life source now. You know that it says that the, uh, in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. There are pleasures forevermore at his right hand. What's your position? 
If you're in Christ, that means you are where he is. When he went to the cross, you went to the cross. When he was buried, you were buried. When he rose again, you were raised to newness of life. And when he ascended to the right hand of the Father, it says in Ephesians 2, that you were seated with him in heavenly places in Christ. And where are those pleasures forevermore? Where is the fullness of joy? At his right hand. You have access to a source of life that is otherworldly. However, to find it, you have to forsake something. As long as you cling to this, you will never discover the greater life. You will never discover the something more. Moses looks at two sides of it. And he says, I could have the pleasures of sin for a season. I could be Pharaoh and have all powerful and the most mighty nation on earth. Hey, it's not a bad thinking pattern. That's just totally normal. We, most of us in here would say, yep, I esteem that greater than suffering. And yet Moses, by faith, actually gave that up and trusted God that this was better. Do you see it? Do you see that this is so much better? To be a son and a daughter of the king as opposed to a son or a daughter of a pharaoh. Son and of a daughter of God Almighty. Forever and always, your kingdom that will never end and cannot be shaken. Riches that will never fade. A military defense force that can never be penetrated. Sorry. It was a good word. I don't know what I was originally thinking. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Unless you deliberately choose to forsake, you cannot find life. So many of us in here want, we crave a greater dimension of life, but we are being shortchanged. And we oftentimes will blame it on God. It's like, God, I've given you everything I know. Whoa, how come you moved 190 miles south? Why is it that you're not allowing the general in? Well, they're going to take my furniture. And I've worked hard for that furniture. You see, the Christian life starts with the premise, all belongs to him. He purchased it with his blood. I have no life outside of him. Here, as a thank offering back to you, you take all that I am, all that I have. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. If you want to be discipled by the Spirit of God, this is how it starts. It starts with a deliberate choice to aperneomai, to deny and reject self as ruler in your life. This is no longer about how you feel. This is no longer about what you want. This is no longer about what you crave. This is about what he desires. And you deliberately choose and esteem it higher to say, God, whatever you desire is what I desire. Are you like Wilmer McLean? Are you offended that the war of the ages has arrived at your front lawn? I know there's a lot of us that have had that thought. It's like, God, this guy over here can live in sin and be perfectly happy. I can't live in sin and be perfectly happy because I got the war in my front yard. I know that there's a battle and I know what you're saying. You're saying I'm supposed to give up. I'm supposed to let go of my life. Why do I have to know that? And this guy doesn't know that. It's the greatest privilege that you know what you know. The fact that you recognize that God is after you is a great privilege. Don't complain about it. Are you trying to pack your things and move 190 miles to the south as far away as you can get? Are you still resenting that cannonball spoiled dinner? 
Are you trying to avoid that inner conflict and not take sides in this battle? Hey, look, I'm not, God, I'm not against you. I'm also not really against the devil. I'm just trying to live my own life. However, if you don't stand with God, you are with the devil. And when you do stand with God, you're against the devil. You have to take a side. Believe me, God and the devil are not mixing. Light and dark don't cohabitate. God is light and in him is no darkness. And as a result, we need to recognize that when we choose darkness to live in shadow, we're choosing the devil. And we are aproneomine Jesus Christ. However, when we deny self, we are literally standing against the kingdom of darkness and we are taken aside. And now we can be useful to the kingdom of heaven. The list. All those things we have told God we would be willing to do for him. So I was talking with uh, someone this past week and uh, we were dealing with a rather challenging subject. I don't know how specific to get but there are needs, needs in northern Colorado that keep knocking on our door. And, I mean, to be honest, it's just sort of like Wilmer McLean. I don't know what to do about it. You know, it's like, well, uh, you're looking for a house. Well, you see, my house already was destroyed by a cannonball years ago, so we might want to choose someone else's house. And even practically, you're thinking, yeah, I'm sure there's someone else's house down the road because, I mean, my house can only be destroyed once by this whole war. So, uh, yeah, maybe the neighbor down the road. And so in, in these situations, it's interesting, but God is sort of, hasn't given a lot of answers. Sort of like, what do we do with this? We have needs, but we don't have in our church body an obvious remedy for it. And so uh, the, the one I was talking with brought up a solution. And uh, I, my whole thought was, well, I if, if I'm not going to tell you that you should do that. It's a big commitment. I mean, that would be a big thing to do in response to this. However, it really would help. And what he said was very interesting. He sort of described that he has a list of all the things he said, God, I know I could be used in this way, and I yield, and I submit, and I say, okay. I know that you could use me this way, and I say yes. However, there's one thing that he's sort of not wanted on the list, and so when this came up, he's sort of like, I know God's sort of been knocking, wanting me to stick it on the list. However, I keep telling him that it doesn't belong there. <laughs> so yes, God, I realize I can do that, and I say yes to it. And over and over, it's like, yes, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Uh, but that was not on my list. That one's, not, that one's not on my list, so I don't need to say yes to it. And so I thought that was a very profound thought pattern for me to realize that we all sort of have a list a list of things that we have yielded to God. I mean, because there's a lot of maturity in here. And we've walked through this and we said, yes, God, if you ever need that, my answer is already a predecided yes. But what if he asks this? Well, that's not on my list. And so we don't need to discuss that. And so in this discussion, it's like, well, kink, kink, are you willing to have that on your list? The question is, what's not on that list? and maybe should be. In other words, we still, even as Christians that are living with as much gusto as we know to live with, there's still little things that we try and avoid. I've always given the classic example of being called as the missionary to Syria, you know, or being the one that is called to face ISIS head on. It's just like, you know what, I'm just not feeling the calling in that direction. And I, I genuinely am not, feeling that calling, right? So I can say, honestly, that's not what I sense I'm supposed to be doing right now. 
At the same time, I would still like it to be removed from the list and never allowed on. Does that make sense? Because there's seasons in our life. And I know that God says, oh yeah, this season, but what about next season? We're not talking about next season. God, I'm just focused on this season. Just My list is clear for this season. And so for each of us, I would like us to just pause in our soul and allow the Spirit of God to get out our list. Now, some of you might not have anything on your list. It's like, oh God, I really haven't given you anything. You see, I've yielded my living room to God and I've had my furniture taken. And so I can feel really good in front of you going, oh yeah, I've been Wilmer McLean in my day. However, you need to be Wilmer McLean and open up your living room every day. And even after that house is stripped bare and you have to move down the road and find another one, guess what? God says, what about this one too? God, can I have a house that you don't want to take everything from? No. You see, the kingdom of heaven is all about God having access, God working through. Hark, is that a knock on the front door? I, I did that for all of us. You see, when the Spirit of God is working, he's preparing us before a message like this. There's some of you that are a little upset about me. Uh, giving this message. Remember, this was supposed to be for the first semester students. <laughs> it wasn't supposed to be for all of us. We're the ones that got it instead. However, I want us to recognize that God has probably been doing a pre-working in your soul to ready you for this message. If there are things that he's been subtly nudging you towards that you've been resistant on, going, hey, God, I'm doing this, though. But I'm working over here, God. And you're trying to sort of distract him. Have you ever done that with God where it's just like you make a lot of noise? Uh, like he's, he's speaking to you, so you start like singing a worship song really loud. And you feel like he's going to be like, oh, 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 that's good, that's good, yeah, keep singing. Instead, what you're really doing is you're either trying to distract yourself or you're trying to throw him off. Because may, maybe God will forget that he was sort of on a, on a certain line of thought with you. And it's just like, oh, hallelujah, praise God. All right, I, th- I think it might have worked. And then right when you thought it was working, then we have this message today. You're like, "Uh uh-oh, that didn't work. Yeah, you're probably the reason on Thursday that God's like, "Mm mm-hmm, Wilmer McLean's living room. It was probably you. Yielding up your living room. What does that mean to each of us? Maybe something a little different. There's only one Wilmer McLean in history, and yet we're all sort of like him. There's a propensity in all of us to think about ourselves. And to preserve ourself instead of standing up and saying, how can I be useful so that this nation can come together? How can I be used so that I'm fighting God's battles instead of just trying to fend off God? You see, fending off God just does you a massive disservice and does everyone around you a massive disservice. It's not going to help your marriage. It's not going to help your kids. It's not going to help any ministry ambition you would have. It's not even going to help your career. Ironically, you can think that self-centeredness is actually what's going to bring about great success. Pleasures of sin last for a season, but they lead to death. And so there's only one thing, one decision at the core of your existence that's going to lead to life and life abundant. And that is to make a deliberate choice to yield up what you have to God. You must refuse something. Will it be Jesus or will it be self? By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. 
esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. It's time to make a decision. Let the general in. Yield up your living room. Turn over your ornate furniture to the one who is deserving and take a side in this battle. Remember to not take a side and to try and play halvesies with God and your worldly desires means you're actually siding against God and siding with the devil. Not a wise thing. However, you have to make a deliberate statement. And when you do, against the things of this world, to forsake being the son of Pharaoh's daughter and say, God, I choose to be your son instead. And when you do that, your life will change. I have had my living room ransacked quite a few times. And I will tell you, I'm going to go on record before all of you to say I do not regret one single time when I allowed God to have access to my life. That's a lot of years, multiple decades, where I have given over the rights of my home to Jesus Christ, and I have chosen to be weak in this world instead of strong. And, personal testimony, I'm the happiest guy you may ever meet. What has happened to me? Am I, did I go cuckoo somehow in the process? You know, after so many times when you're getting your living room cleaned out, you start to get to go cuckoo. No, the exact opposite. I think more clearly now. I'm esteeming that what I suffer with Christ is actually greater, and the reward of it is even greater than any earthly temporal pleasure I could have. Huh? I esteem this as greater. I actually think my life is the greatest. And yet there's so many people on this earth that either feel sorry for me because of my life choices, or they hate me for my life choices. I mean, when I was in high school and college, everyone liked me. And now I have a whole bunch of people that don't like me. Why? Because I'm no longer living over here. I'm living over here. And that makes people uncomfortable, including me at times. And yet, this is the abundant life. This is living. We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.